Hey guys, welcome back to the teaching series entitled Follow Me. You know, this really all came from my heart where I wanted to help you learn what it looks like to follow Jesus in a world that really doesn't want to. And so look, in week one, we discussed, look, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you gotta know where in the world is he going? Then in week two, we came back and we talked about, look, if, if you're gonna follow Jesus and you gotta love everything else less. Now here in week three, I think we're gonna deal with something that every single one of us understands in a real practical way. What does it look like to follow Jesus through your failures and your faults? Because we all have them in one way or another. And then what would it look like to get caught in the gravity of God? What if the gravity of God's intense love was the thing that was pulling you through this world so that you could follow him. All right, so we've all failed and we've all had our faults, which means that we probably had something that we wanted to quit. We've all had something we want to quit, like maybe it's school or it's a job or it was smoking or drinking or cussing. Or maybe it was even something like, man, I just need to quit eating junk food. I remember a time back when I was in junior high, I had a job with a newspaper that I badly wanted to quit. This job started like at three or four o'clock in the morning and I would have to pile in to a, in the back of a van that had no windows, no air conditioning. It smelled like freshly printed newspapers and it was hot outside during the summer. And I, we would drive through the neighborhoods. My job, roll up the newspapers, put them in the plastic sleeve, toss them up to a bin in between the driver's seat and the passenger seat. Those guys were throwing the newspapers out left and right. My head is down in this heat moving around. I got sick every single night. They had to stop the van so I could get out and throw up. It was horrible. But I was, I was like raised in a home where you don't quit anything. And so one day, one day the owner who was the driver, right? He came to me and he said, Hey Jeff, look, it just doesn't seem like things are working out. Like it doesn't seem like your body really even likes this job. You keep throwing up every night. So look, I just don't think this is going to work. I just want you to know I've never been happier in all my life to get fired from a job. So look, there's some things that you need to stop, right? You need to quit. These are some things that will be healthy for you to do that with. Other things you just need to put one foot in front of the other and just keep walking, just keep walking right through it like I'm walking right now. Now look, what I really wanna talk about though is your faith. So I don't ever want you to be at a place where you're wanting to quit, give up, or walk away in your faith. I know that's a temptation because right now in this world, there's a lot of people that are doing just that, quitting, giving up, walking away for all kinds of different reasons. And I think it's a tragedy. But look, I just want to be open and honest with you. Making the choice to surrender your life and to follow Jesus was definitely not the easiest choice that you've ever made in your life. Following Jesus is a hard and a difficult road. Why? Because you're trying to follow Jesus in a world that doesn't want to follow him. So you've got all of these temptations and all these things that are coming at you left and right. And sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming to follow Jesus. And really, it boils down to this, sin. Right? When, when sin enters our heart and our lives, or it's allowed to live there, it can become distracting, and it can separate us from the very love of God that we need 
to keep going, like that gravity of God, right? And, and so that separates us. And when you get separated from God, here's what begins to happen. You begin to entertain crazy thoughts like, I'm a failure, like I've blown it, like I'm not good enough. I just want to give up. I just want to quit. I just want to walk away. I know what that feels like personally. So it was back in the late 80s. I'm young and I am dumb and I'm running from God and I know I'm running from God. And I actually feel like I've got a lot of failures in trying to follow God. I feel defeated in this until one day I'm like, God, you don't answer prayers. I actually stood in a parking lot in Bellevue, Nebraska, and I pointed my finger to heaven. Can you believe it? I actually said this, God, you don't exist. What a landmark statement in my life. I had no idea how sin had corrupted my heart and my soul and my spirit to such a point where I was so deceived that I would say to God, you don't exist. I mean, that was probably the worst decision I have ever made. Worst statement that's ever come come out of my mouth ever. And it became a very long, arduous and hard road to get back to God. But praise God, guys. I mean, thank the Lord that when I gave up on him, he never gave up on me. Isn't that good news? And in that way, I feel a lot like Peter did when he denied and or he failed to say, I know Jesus during the crucifixion of Jesus. If you remember it, let me tell you, it, it, Jesus was arrested one evening. So the sun had gone down. Then this mock trial takes place all night long. Well, before all that, Jesus had turned to Peter and he said to him, Peter, look, you're going to deny me three different times before that sun comes up in the morning. Well, Peter's out and Jesus is arrested and he's going through the trial and Peter gets asked, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? Aren't you one of those guys who walked with him, ate with him, taught with him? And Peter, three different times, no, not me, no, not me, no, not me. The rooster crows, the sun rises, and the moment sinks into Peter's heart. And now he's wrestling with my failure, my shame, my guilt. Like, how could I ever deny knowing Jesus? And I guarantee he contemplated quitting. Here's why I know this. They were in Jerusalem when that took place. The next thing we know, Peter's back where he grew up, back where he was fishing with his father. He's back on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He had gone back to what he had known. In fact, he had gone back to the place where Jesus originally walked the sandy shores of the Sea of Galilee, came up to Peter and said, Peter, why don't you come follow me? Peter had gone back to his old profession. He had gone back to fishing. And we know this because in John chapter 21, we see that Peter and some of his buddies are out fishing. They've been fishing all night long, right? I mean, have you ever fished all night long? And I have. And Peter fished all night long and he caught nothing. How frustrating must that have been to catch nothing when that was his old profession? He had to feel like a failure now twice. And then the sun starts to come up. And the Bible says there's a man on the shore about 100 yards away. This man is that kind of like antagonizing man to you and me. He says to this group of fishermen, hey, have you guys caught anything? Right? Which the fishermen are like, who is this old dude on the shore asking us if we caught anything? Right? But What they didn't realize, it was Jesus. So this is what I love about Jesus. Check this out. Jesus knew they hadn't caught anything. So Jesus is like jabbing them a little bit. Like, hey, did you guys catch anything? I already know you didn't, right? Almost kind of like driving home. You're not to go back to fishing. You are not to go back to this old life. I've got something better for you. It doesn't matter about your failures, right? And so 
Then all of a sudden, Jesus says to him, hey guys, throw your net out on the other side of the boat. Can you imagine being the fisherman going like, what? Five feet over. Like I've been throwing the net on the left side and you want me to throw it on the right side. There's not going to be any extra fish over here, but they do it anyways. They throw the net out. It's kind of like their last heave ho of the night. Like if this doesn't catch anything, we're into the shore. We're going to sleep. We're going to go do something else. Right. But they throw that net. And there's so many fish. The Bible says 153 large fish get caught in that net so much they can't even pull it in. Bingo. That's when Peter realizes, holy cow, Jesus is staying on the shore. He just immediately reactionary wise jumps into the water and starts swimming 100 yards, leaves his buddies with the fish in the boat to have to get it in. Now, when Peter gets to shore, here's another surprise. This is what he finds. He doesn't find a Jesus beating him up for his failures. He finds a Jesus who has made breakfast for him. Right? What happens after they get to the shore and they start eating breakfast? Let's take a look at that in John chapter 21, verse 15. Right, so Peter got to the beach and he was all excited, but he really didn't know what was Jesus going to do. I mean, look, he had just failed him, right? He walked away from him. He's not even in Jerusalem. Jesus has to come find him up at the Sea of Galilee. And what does Peter find? He finds that Jesus has made breakfast. But what happened after breakfast? Well, look at verse 15 of John chapter 21. It says that after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. But here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the heart, like the frame of mind that Jesus was in when he went to see Peter. When he hunted him down and he found him in the Sea of Galilee fishing, he didn't come to him with guilt and shame and to talk to Peter, you know, about his failures and how he denied him. Like, that's not how he came. He came with breakfast. How awesome is that? Jesus came to him knowing that Peter felt guilt, shame, like a failure and like he wanted to quit. And the very first thing Jesus does is like, Peter, sit down. I want to feed you. It's a practical way of showing Peter, I love you. Like I'll break bread with you. I'll have a meal with you. Like you're my friend. Man, I care deeply about you. I just thought if you don't know the frame of Jesus' mind and his heart at that moment, you're not going to catch these next two things I'm going to tell you. Because here's what I really wanted you to get. What was the very first thing Jesus says to Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Notice this. Like, again, when Jesus gets to the serious part of the conversation, he doesn't go back to Peter's failures and faults and maybe even the attitude that Peter maybe even wanted to quit and walk away. He goes straight to the heart. Do you love me, Peter? And what does Peter say? You know I love you. That's all that Jesus is looking for out of our lives. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for you to have it all put together. He's just looking for the one thing that matters more than anything else. Do you love me? See, that's what Jesus is saying to you right now as well. So if your past failures, guilt and shame are getting in your way of following him, let go of it. Jesus is letting go of it already. All he wants you to do is repent. 
repent and to say, Jesus, I love you. Guess what happens? God erases it. He casts your sin as far away as the east is from the west, the Bible tells us. So if he's not hanging on to it, why are you hanging on to it? But look, I got one more thing that I want to tell you. So the second thing that Jesus does with Peter is he invites Peter back into the mission. And the way that he does this is by asking Peter, will you feed my sheep? So what does it look like to feed his sheep? Well, Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, will you go do the same things that you saw me do for others? Will you go and will you teach people about my father? Will you teach people what I taught you? Will you guard, will you protect the saints like from deception and from false teaching? Peter, will, will you be one of my leaders here on the earth preparing my church so that I can return for her? That's what it meant to feed the sheep. And that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus basically says to Peter, when should you do this? I want you to do this right now. Like leave this thing called fishing because you fished all night, you didn't catch anything. You're no good at it anymore. Like I've taught you now how to fish for men. That's what I want you to go after. Fish for the hearts of men, women, children, grandmothers, grandfathers, aunts, uncles. Like go after the heart of people. That's why I'm leaving you here. And I love it. Jesus doesn't say, hey, do you love me, Peter? Yeah, you know I love you, Jesus. Then prove it. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't guilt and shame him anymore. He says, get in the game and go after it. So for you and me, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying this to you. Look, don't worry about your past faults and your failures. Uh, you thought that your past faults and your failures had now hindered you. Like you can only do so much for God. Like it's held you back. No, Jesus is coming to us and he's going, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Then not only will you jump this high, but you're going to jump higher. Like you're going to do more things for me than you ever dreamt or imagined. So guys, if you love Jesus, he's challenging you. Get back in the mission. Run after me. Hunt after me. Right. And like, look, here's what I want you to remember about this story. Who sought out who? Like who went after who? Did Peter go after Jesus or did Jesus go after Peter? Well, it's obvious. Jesus went after Peter. That should tell you something about God's heart, right? And he's coming after you as well. The love of God is chasing you down. The love of God is chasing you down to put you back into his mission. And by the way, the gravity of God's love is so intense that no human being can break from it, right? You might fight against it for all of your life. And man, I... I have pity on those who like run, try to get away from the gravity of God because all of the energy it takes. I just want you to know the gravity of God is in this place right now and he's pulling you closer and closer to him. And he's saying, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Hey, look, let's talk more about gravity. In 1665 or 1666, we really don't know, Sir Isaac Newton, he discovered the law of gravity. And we know kind of the legend behind it, right? He was kind of sitting around some orchard where there were some apples and then one apple fell to the ground. And he thought to himself like, why did that apple fall to the ground? It was an object that wasn't in motion and then some law put it into motion. And he thought to himself like, why doesn't it fly sideways? Or why doesn't it fly up? And then gravity was discovered. And, and since the discovery of gravity, then we've also learned like gravity is why the earth as it revolves around the sun doesn't just fly away. Gravity is why the moon as it revolves around the earth doesn't just fly away. Gravity is also the reason why you and me don't fly away. 
Gravity also taught us that the moon has a limited amount of gravity because of its mass. The earth has a little bit more because of its mass, but then the sun has a tremendous amount more of gravity than the earth. But science believes that the thing that has the greatest gravity in all the known universe is this thing called a black hole. And a black hole has such an intense gravity that it pulls light into itself and light can't even get out. Anything that crosses what's called the event horizon is sucked into that thing forever and it can't get back out. And they think that's the most intense gravity. I would argue with them. In fact, today I am arguing with science. I believe that the creator of the black hole has the most intense gravity known to man, and it's called the gravity of God's love. And the gravity of God's love is what's pulling on you and me to pull us through this world to help us follow him in a world that doesn't wanna follow him. But look, let's be honest, this world and the sinful ways of this world has a gravity to it. Sometimes we get sucked into it. Sometimes it pulls us in, sometimes it deceives us, sometimes it tricks us, it can pull us into a dark place like getting pulled into a black hole and you can almost kind of feel lost. But thank God that the gravity of his love is greater than even the gravity that this world has with its sin. Like remember, what did, what did Jesus do with Peter? Well, Jesus came back to Peter. What did Peter do when he recognized it was Jesus? It was like he couldn't stop himself. It was the gravity of the love of Jesus and he just jumps into the water and he starts swimming towards him. It was like as if Jesus was pulling Peter towards himself and Peter couldn't do anything about it. And I love this because this is the kind of gravity that God has on your life and mine. So look, you might have gotten sucked into the gravity of this world, but it's not greater than the gravity of God's love. So let's just all do this. Thank God for his incredible gravity that's pulling you towards him. Here's what you and me need to do. We need to surrender to that gravity and just let him pull us in. Well, look, I got a couple more things that I think are super practical about this teaching today that I wanna help you apply to your life. All right, guys, here we are at the end of the message. And I just want to take us on some next steps. Like now what? In light of what we heard, what is it that Jesus is telling us? Can, can I just get really personal with you? Look, if sin has a grip on your life, if sin's controlling you, like don't run away from God. Like that would be the wrong move. Run towards God. Because what's Jesus doing right now? He's running toward you. Right? And then let me, let me give you something that's just like out of the box completely. You're, you're not going to expect this one. Schedule a breakfast with Jesus. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did with Peter. He scheduled a breakfast with him and he met with him on the beach because he wanted fellowship with him. He wanted Peter to know, I love you and I'm close to you. I want you to schedule some time with Jesus this week. Maybe that's in the morning. Maybe that's in the afternoon. Maybe it's even in the evening. I don't care where it is, but man, get five, 15, 30 minutes, right? To spend some time with Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to say this, Jesus, speak to me. Share your heart with me. Like, pour out your love upon me. Let me be close to you. Guys, can I just tell you that, that little assignment might sound a little crazy and, and off the wall, but I'm telling you right now, Jesus is definitely wanting to meet you personally for breakfast. If you schedule it, he'll show up. Now, lastly, what I want you to consider is this. I want you to see all people as God's sheep. God created them all. He's got a purpose. He has a plan for them. It's beautiful and it's awesome. 
and it's perfect. So find a way to show the love of Jesus to someone this week. That's what they need. They need a tangible expression of the love of Jesus that's coming from your life, from your actions, from your words, from your compassion for them. Maybe you want to do this. You want to go out of your way maybe to pray for someone this week. I know, I'm not talking about praying like, you know, next to your bed before you go to sleep. I'm talking about in your workplace or in your neighborhood, right? Or with your family. I'm talking one-on-one where you can pray for them in a comfortable place. That will really be a tangible way to show people the love of Jesus. So whatever you do, do your best to be the example of Jesus to a world that's trying not to follow him. But let's make it hard, right? By being an example of Jesus. So look, I get it. Like this could be difficult in all these assignments. But remember this, like if Jesus hasn't given up on people, neither should we. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you once again for your word that has life. Thank you, Lord, that in your word, we see your compassion at work. We we see your restoration at work with Peter. We see you challenging him. Like you keep asking the question, Lord, do, do you love me? Do you love me? God, you care so much more about our heart than about anything we could ever do for you. But when our heart is in the right place, it becomes very attractive in this world. I mean, when our heart is radiating the love of Jesus, it's hard for people to ignore it. It's hard for people to stay away from it. And so, Lord, you're even asking us right now in this prayer, do you love me? And Lord, we're saying back to you collectively as a congregation, yes. Yes, Lord, we love you. And then, Lord, you're turning right around after that and you're saying, then go feed my sheep. Like, go be an example of my love to this world. And I pray for this congregation that this week you will give them multiple opportunities to be an example of Jesus, to show the love of Jesus in small but tangible ways, ways that move the needle, ways that build your kingdom, ways that help people that live in a world that doesn't want to follow God, turn 180 degrees and come running back into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. Lord, we pray this in your son's name, in the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, the most powerful name in all of the universe. May you bless this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.